1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than two hundred thousand Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a twenty year warranty, and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit Douglas.ca/CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is slash douglas.ca/canadaland. Jason Markosoff, frequent Canada Land face palmer, first time Canada Land guest, and uh, Alberta correspondent for Maclean's magazine. Welcome to Canada Land
2: Shortcuts. Should I keep my hand of my face the whole time, or not? I guess that'll depend on how this goes.
1: Yeah, just make sure I earn it. Don't, don't, uh, nothing gratuitous. <laughs> We're going to talk today. About the Rebels-Nazi problem, we are going to talk about the... Which one? (laughs) When you have to ask, you know you have more than one problem. We're going to talk about the crackdown on Atlantic journalists, and we are going to talk about the coming refugee spring. Good to have you here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Nicole Mercer, Travis, Kelly Trout, Alim Jiwa, Sarah Huko, Chelsea Rooney, Todd Saradiak and Shazlin Rahman. Shazlin, why did you decide to be awesome?
0: Because in an age where demagogues like Trump can manipulate mainstream media to function as in an echo chamber for his ideas, I find myself turning more and more to you for the critical analysis and perspectives that are largely missing from our media landscape.
1: Jason, this episode's also brought to us by FreshBooks. You are one of the last gainfully employed staff journalists in the country. So this is just like some foreign language to you to talk about uh, invoicing and billing and accounting solution for freelancers and small businesses, huh? Every time I I
2: do do a Microsoft Word document, I think, boy, if I had to have a better way, I hope there's a better way out there.
1: Well, my friend, if you hadn't heard of it before, there is a better way out there. If you're using Microsoft Word for your invoices, I know it gets the job done, I suppose. And when you're just trying to get your freelance practice going and make as much money as possible. That can seem like the smart decision, but at a certain point you gotta treat yourself like a professional and understand a few things. One, your time is money, and the time that you spend creating those invoices, but more than that, the time that you spend waiting to get paid and hounding them to get paid is time away from your freelance practice or your small business. FreshBooks has looked into this, they know the data, you get paid quicker when you send professional FreshBooks invoices. You also can track your invoice and see When the person who owes you money has looked at your invoice, you can get a sense of which clients pay you at what rate, and you can get paid immediately through credit card payments. It is very easy to use, stupid, simple to use. It is a dream come true, come tax time. That is another huge time savings for freelancers and small businesses because compiling the information you need to do your own taxes or send it to your accountant, that's just like... A quick chore when you use FreshBooks. Why listen to me go on and on and on when you can just see it for yourself? It's very visual. Go to freshbooks.com slash Canada Land and try it out for free for 30 days. No credit card required. If you do become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you. You'll be doing us a favor. Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH, Heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca Canada Land to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Want to talk about the rebel? Uh, I guess. Where to begin this lurid tale, Jason? Our friend Ezra is having some problems. The the Ides of March. It's been a tough couple of weeks for Ezra Levant. It's like he created some monsters. He's got some personalities there. He's got Lauren Southern, who is, uh, you know, doing this Canadian Ann Coulter thing. He's got Gavin McInnes, you know, uh, Vice Magazine founder, uh, inventor of hipsters, according to him, turned right-winger. And they they command larger social media followings than he does. They have uh, contributed to the Rebels' surging success but both of them have become problems in recent weeks. The first thing that we heard was uh, while the rebel was off in Israel, Ezra and Gavin and a lot of their other people were off on this this trip. They had crowdfunded uh, money to go and report from Israel. Lauren Southern was conspicuously absent from that trip. And I think it was while they were gone that she announced the following. <sighs>
0: I'm going independent! Woo! So yeah, (laughs) Rebel and I are going our separate ways. Now, I had a great time at Rebel. I got to travel the world. I got to report on crazy things like the refugee crisis and Jordan B. Peterson's fight for free speech on campuses, the DC riots. I got to do so many, so much crazy stuff. You know, I can't get into too much detail about what went down at Rebel, but I do wish them the best of luck on their future endeavors, and I hope they make awesome videos. I want my opinions to be totally unfiltered, and I want all of my stories to be something that I go and pursue.
2: Jason, she wanted her stories to be unfiltered. (laughs) <laughs> a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, one of the fascinating... So I I, I did a lot of research on uh, The Rebel uh, for a big feature in McLean's in January. And I blew my brains out watching way, way too much Lauren Southern and Gavin McInnes and other Rebel actors in December. So I, I'm sadly uh, well-versed in how little filter they have. I mean, one of the pieces I remember from uh, I think it was late November, was Lauren Southern's uh, The Week in Refugees, Murder, Rape, and Death. Yeah. I mean, this is the sort of thing that they're doing. So she felt filtered and restrained uh, when she was allowed to do that. Oh, my goodness. What does she want to do in her free world?
1: Yeah. I mean, of course, she has uh, she tosses around the epithet faggot towards anti-fascist protesters that she doesn't like. She does that as a rebel commentator. What is she being, what, what, what is she being censored? What is she, what, what, what kind of views does Lauren Southern have that she cannot express as a rebel commentator? There might be a hint to that in an interview that she gave uh, earlier before her departure from the rebel. I'll play you a little bit of that.
0: Even, even the Richard Spencers of the world, like they're, they're, mis, they're even them, they're kind of misrepresented as well. Like Richard Spencer is not a white supremacist. He is a white nationalist. He believes in a white ethnostate. He doesn't believe in whites being superior. Oh, thank you
1: for clearing that up. He believes in a white ethnostate. Not that whites are superior, but alt-fascist, new fascist, Nazi, uh, neo-Nazi Richard Spencer believes in just just a a white ethnostate. Thank you for clearing that up, Lauren Southern. She has done some other messaging that is sympathetic to this white nationalist cause. And the immediate speculation, and not my speculation, but from Lauren Southern's fans, and not even speculation, the assertion that you read in the comments to her uh, announcement that she was going independent, is that this is about her Jew boss. And her Jew boss, Ezra Levant, was the one filtering her and not letting her name the Jew. That is the neo-Nazi terminology for the suppression that we Jewish overlords of the media exert. Uh, you can't name the Jew as long as we're running things. Now she's independent and she has a massive following. Immediately within that that video about her going independent, she talks about her own Patreon to come. She will do very well. She'll make a lot of money, but she's going to go, the speculation, the hopes of thousands are that she's going to go full 1488, which is a Nazi code terminology that I'm not even going to bother to explain, but it's code for that she's going to go full Nazi. And that was something that Ezra couldn't tolerate uh, we don't know this. Ezra denies it. They wish each other well. That was what was happening in down that dark rabbit hole. And just as that was kicking around, this happened.
3: Me, I'm becoming anti-Semitic. Like at the Holocaust Museum. This is a, basically a brainwashing trip. I mean, I think the Jewish, the Israeli government paid for this. But they're so obsessed with the Holocaust. And yes, I know it was bad. But it's a Jewish thing to sort of dwell on the past holodomor was ukrainians i think it was 10 million ukrainians that were killed that was by jews that was by marxist stalinist left wing commie socialist jews <laughs> well it wasn't the treaty of versailles wasn't that disproportionately influenced by jewish intellectuals
1: what we heard there jason was gavin mckinnis and Gavin does like one show a week for The Rebel, but he does four shows a week. Like he does four hours, an hour a day, Monday to Thursday, uh, for this paywalled right-wing compound media site. And during his stay in Israel, he went on this this long rant about how his trip to Israel was in fact making him an anti-Semite. He later claimed when that four minutes where he says the most disgusting, factually incorrect, classic Hitler-era Anti-Semitism. Jews are responsible for the for the Treaty of Versailles. I mean, this stuff is just like <sighs>
2: it's it's straight up Mel Gibson. The Jews are responsible for the world wars.
1: Yeah. it's Well, it is the seductive whisper of anti-Semitism throughout the ages that seems to still have currency. And here is Gavin McInnes just spouting off all of it in this four-minute clip. And while he was flying back from Israel to Toronto, he received big high fives from David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK, and Richard Spencer. And again, the really overwhelming message from Gavin's fans was he's finally named the Jew. Good for Gavin. He's seen the light. He's finally named the Jew. When he lands, he sees that he is now the Nazis' new hero, and he quickly throws up a frantically backpedaling video.
3: I was on the plane. I had a Justine Sacco moment, apparently. I landed here. It was Remember, wait till she lands, and she said, I'm going to Africa, hoping I can get AIDS. No offense, Nazis. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but i don't like you i like jews and that was my first day on this fact-finding mission not funded by the israeli government by the way funded by contributors to rebel media can you just talk about what the nazis say and refute their points their points are the treaty of versailles was done by jews it wasn't uh... holodomor was made by jews it
1: wasn't that was stalin the chris ex christian atheist through his tweets to David Duke and Richard Spencer and in this video, no, the Jews are not responsible for this Ukrainian uh, mass killing. No, the Jews are not responsible for the Treaty of Versailles. No, the Israeli government did not pay for the rebels trip to Israel, as I said in that video. And furthermore, that video was all taken out of context. Our own Jonathan Goldsby, our editor here at Canada Land, I should give him danger pay for this. He went to see if, in fact, like, was it taken out of context? In order to find out about that, we had to actually pay Compound Media for a $7, dollars 6 95 access through their paywall. Sorry about that. And, uh, and then Jonathan had to wade through, as you did when you were writing about the rebel, he had to wade through all of this material. And in context, it's much worse. Uh, Gavin calls Palestinians Rottweilers that need to be punched in the face. He says virulently racist things about Asians. He has another video that he ends by saying... Jews are ruining the world with their lies and their money and their hook-nosed bagel-eating faces. All of this has a slight tinge of ironic ha-ha-ha for you know, uh, exculpatory purposes later on down the road. But there, there really is no other way to interpret these charges that Gavin has made. He, he is contemplating openly and asserting factually incorrect, virulently racist, anti-Semitic tropes. So that leaves Ezra in a bit of a pickle. Doesn't it?
2: Yeah, Ezra, uh, Levant. Um, he's a, as I am, actually. Um, he is a he is a proud Jew. He's a proud Zionist. He took uh, he took the rebel crew minus Lauren Southern to Israel. I thought, at least, because they were courting maybe pro Zionist um, Jewish. Followers to the rebel, trying to expand his uh, his market, maybe trying to get some uh, more donations um, from people who really believe that Israel, you know, has a you know a right to exist and a right to expand over the occupied territories. I thought that's where he was going with this, but you know, in watching some of the rebel uh, materials from there, it was not as much pro-Jewish, pro-Zionist as it all was in their usual trope profoundly anti-Muslim. They have this really weird thing going on. And this is what Lawrence Southern had this, Faith Goldie had this, and now uh, Gavin McInnes has it, where they actually fantasize or idealize the Crusades. They were in Bethlehem moaning about how, Faith Goldie was moaning about how the, the the Muslim call to prayer is ringing over over the birthplace of Jesus. Well, this city has a Christian mayor. And after she tweeted that, it was hilarious to see all the response from both Christians and Muslims saying, There's no problem here, and we don't need crusades to come and take over and uh, expel the Muslims again. That's not necessary. The rebels going in very dangerous territory. I love the uh, the headline that the Beaverton had. Ezra Levan confident that riled up far-right mob won't turn against the Jews this time.
1: Well, that, that really is at the crux of it. That was, that was a brilliant uh, uh, sum- summary from the Beaverton, really. I mean, And I think it speaks to like, look, this is like a disgusting story about, I think, disgusting people. And a lot of people are just turned off and they don't want to know all the dramatic twists and turns of their falling out. There is a greater relevance here and why I, I you know continue to focus on them, because I think this is like a battle for where conservatism is going to go in Canada. Ezra Levant is trying to assert a certain kind of conservatism that is pro-oil, pro-Israel, And profoundly anti-Muslim. And that is a shtick that I think he has done well with throughout the years in various forms earlier on when he was more of, of a mainstream conservative figure, it was more about the pro oil thing. He was a lobbyist for oil. He uh, wrote a book about ethical oil. He gets paid to speak at oil industry events. There may be other funding we don't know about because the rebels funding is just completely mysterious. It's totally secret. Unlike our own organization, we have no idea who's funding the, the rebel, but that's where a lot of the money came from the oil industry. And it's, you know, he also was a hardliner, a hawkish, pro-israel and pro-israel in a very hawkish conservative way he is asserting that that is where conservatism should stand he doesn't have to worry about about me about canadaland's critique and the people who hate him have always hated him and they just hate him more he has to worry about his own people because he wants to have his hate and eat it too you know i'm not sure as i delve into the sewer of the comment section that they are with him on this pro-Israel thing because this this current alt-right movement is profoundly against American influence and American money going into other parts of the world. It's It's got a big strain of anti-Semitism in it, period, and it's it's very isolationist. So if he builds these personalities up bigger than himself and loses them, I don't know what that does to the rebel. And I also don't know what it does to the rebel if he keeps Gavin, which is what he's trying to do. He's essentially overlooking... Gavin's Nazi-supporting spew and saying maybe that was just a joke. Uh, all I know is that his stuff for us doesn't have that stuff in it to the same extent, and uh, he's clarified that he's pro-Israel and pro-Jew. So I I, I, just, I wonder like I, I wonder what's going on within that organization.
2: In I mean in the states, uh, which is an increasingly large part of uh, of, of the rebels of uh, viewership base, they're really trying to you know uh, horn in on the uh, the Breitbart audience, the Gateway Pundit audience, the real alt right audience that's in the states. Um, Gavin McInnes is bigger than him, Lawrence Southern is bigger than him, and that that I think you're right is a problem for Ezra Levant. And He prides himself on having a very light editing touch on certain things. In fact, I went for my story behind the paywall of uh, of Ezra's channel. They have some special. TV shows, including uh, Gavin McInnes's, and in November, he had on Richard Spencer, the alt-right white nationalist, white supremacist, whatever Lawrence Southern wants to call him. Uh, he was asking, uh-huh. and in the middle of this show, uh, McInnes asks, I work for a Jew named Ezra Levant. How much does that make your blood boil? And Spencer, if you ever watch him, he has a kind of cool demeanor. He says, it doesn't make my blood boil at all the fact he's a Jew, he's a neoconservative, as I understand, the fact he has you on. You're kind of pushing things in our own direction, in your own way. The fact I'm on here and we can respectfully talk, that's great. And I, I put that to Ezra because I, I had a few interviews with him for my, uh, for my story, and Ezra said, I didn't watch it. And you know what? I trust Gavin. I give him wide latitude to say what he wants, and I know that he's not racist. And, you know, and lo and behold, a week, after, a couple days after, uh, you know, Gavin McInnes's, uh, you know, oh, I am in fact not against Jews and I don't believe the blood libels. Gavin McInnes goes on again and has a video on <laughs> on the Ezra channel, 10 Things I Hate About Jews, which I guess was kind of meant to be a, a pun on the 10 Things I Hate About You movie title. And it was a critique of things he, that bug him about what Israel's like, this weird drunken rant. But I, I'm, I'm amazed that Ezra condones that stuff. He seems to be in this uh, mentality where if he apologizes, if he backs down, he is weak. He is bowing to the, uh, to the sensitive coddlers, the safe spacers, the, uh, the alt-left, the, the mainstream media. Um, so he's in a place where he feels like he cannot back down, which is dangerous when people uh, get that close to you know, blatant Nazism.
1: Well, you know, you're right. They, they don't ever apologize. I don't think that they ever correct anything or when they do change their material, they change it without explanation. The old stuff disappears and you have no idea that they were ever wrong. In the case of 10 things I hate about Jews, it's been changed oh. to 10 things I hate about Israel. Uh, that is a very, I don't even know of a precedent for that with a rebel video. So there is some, there's something going on there. Look, I don't care, like, you know, wrestle not with assholes lest you become an asshole. Like, I found myself yesterday as I was getting into this rabbit hole with this stuff, I got tweeted at by David Duke, the former, he addressed me by name. Jesse, it's a historical fact that Jews are uh, responsible for millions of Ukraine. I'm like, am I going to tweet back, like, uh, David, wait, you're KKK's grand wizard. I'm not talking to you. Uh, uh, You know, really, like, what what we're getting at here, like, I don't want to... You have to correct every idiot who believes every conspiracy theory and then my refusal to correct them is like well you're unwilling to argue with them on the facts. What this is about is like will the standard hold? The standard I think it's a pretty reasonable one has been if you're a Nazi you can't take money from Jewish groups or call yourself a Zionist if you publish Nazis that's you know there's like a line there you don't want to stand next to a Nazi that we don't accept in polite conversation or civil discourse Nazis. Ezra's done well in getting people out to rallies a lot of it for people who are against carbon taxes, some people who are uh, really riled up about uh, sex education, will – this is the standard that I'm curious about. It. M- my own standards of this are pretty well-defined and not really interested in, interesting to the conservatives of Canada. What I want to know is will the people who stand with the rebel stand with the rebel
2: and Gavin McInnes? That's to assume that there's one audience, Jesse, and there's not. There are multiple audiences for uh, for the rebel, and he's been very good at finding these niches out there. He has he pretty much corners in mainstream media the loud and firm anti Muslim uh you know pro islamophobia market that 's that 's his he has the you know he has the lock her up market in uh in alberta against notley the market 's a bit more split up with uh you know conservative anti trudeauism um but he also seems to want this pro crusade alt right market or at least it 's one thing that some of his big celebrities in his in his wheelhouse, um, Gavin McInnes, and uh, now the former, now the gone Lawrence Southern you know, that that they're developing. So that's a market. That's you know for him, that's revenue. Like like you, like like any media organization right now, he's thinking about eyeballs. He's thinking about market. He's thinking about revenue. And you know, there's a cold dollars and cents thing to to, to this for him. If he can still hang on to that. that group without totally sacrificing everything that he believes in if he just provides this free speech platform then he might stick with it he doesn't seem to want to apologize for things and I don't know if we'll see him do that now
1: yeah, look, you're absolutely right. And I think it's more than just about clicks and traffic. It's he's building a political machine. And right now, what gets asses in seats, you can have little bits of micro-targeting with the carbon tax, this and and uh anti-Is Islam, you know, maybe maybe anti-Islam is a bigger t- ticket. But uh the alt-right is that's that's the stadium show. And uh he he wants those clicks, he wants those people, he wants those votes for politicians to show up to his rallies, he wants that energy really badly. But he's Jewish, and I don't know that they want him.
2: There was a point, uh, when the Rebels started, before Gavin McInnes, before Lauren Southern, before they, w- they started getting into this, uh, this weird dark territory, that there was something that was off brand for Ezra. Um, Michael Corrin, who actually just wrote a brilliant piece in The Walrus, uh, the former Sun News host, uh, wrote a piece in The Walrus about this whole Ezra Levant, Gavin McInnes anti-Semitism problem. Uh, he was an early, uh, he was a day one, uh, worker for Ezra. He was uh, signed up to do some things. But when he wrote a piece in the National Post in defense of Kathleen Wynne's sex ed policy against some of the haters, enough of those haters wrote back angrily to Ezra Levant saying, this is a problem. Why would you have this guy on your show if he's going to be against, you know, for um, Kathleen Wynne's sex ed thing, that Michael Corrin was summarily dismissed. Ezra said, sorry, you're off-brand. You're not really where we want to be. So if enough complaints come in, Ezra may indeed back off. I wonder if this says, this could say two things. One is that there aren't enough people complaining about what Gavin McInnes is doing from the Ezra fans to uh, make him move. Or two, he's gotten to this dark place where Ezra doesn't care what anybody says. He's not going to change his lineup for anybody's purpose.
1: That is a really good point, Jason. That's such a good point that it is possible for all of Ezra's talk about, oh, uh, you know, I trust these people. I don't have to agree with them. I have a light touch on editing. He got rid of Corin very quickly when Michael Corin said that the sex education uh, was no big deal. But Ezra knows, Ezra knows that that the the uh, the resistance to the Kathleen Winsex sex ed uh, program that. Was a big money maker and rallying cry for the rebel. And if you fuck with that, if you fuck with the the, the the hot button issues that bring people out for the rebel and and result in donations to the rebel, you are kicked off the team. But uh, apparently, Gavin's tirades don't qualify.
2: Well, and you know the thing that he's courting is America. Look, uh, anti anti Notleyism, anti you know motion M one hundred three is is Canadian, and that's a great market. He's cornering the market on uh, on that sort of stuff in Canada. But there are so many more eyeballs in the States and overseas in Europe uh, for, uh, you know, for, for Euro-nationalism, for for white nationalism, uh, for anti-immigrant immigrant sentiment. Uh, Gavin McInnes is not a very popular figure in Canada. He's not very well known outside of, you know, some of the hardcore rebel base. But there's this big, great group that, you know, in the States that loves him, that loves Lauren Southern, and uh, Ezra's has been, you know, trying to court that market. and. As long as the people who love him because he hates Notley don't get turned off sufficiently because uh, some people on there get a bit too Nazi for their liking, then Ezra's fine.
1: Okay, Jason, I want to talk about a couple of stories. Uh, You know, we're talking a lot about the state of uh, journalism in Atlantic Canada. And uh, just uh, last week or two, there's a, a couple of incidents Justin Brake who is an editor for the Independent in Newfoundland he's been on the show before after he was present during this actually really remarkable protest where three or four i think different indigenous communities out in Newfoundland Labrador came together to occupy this Muskrat Falls energy project and the, and the the occupation itself was an interesting, uh, it was a fascinating story where when they occupied the project, it was nonviolent and there was actually a, a lot of interesting exchange between the energy workers and the protesters. And Justin Brake was the one journalist who accompanied the protesters on their occupation. He spoke about that on this program. We broke the news that he is now facing criminal charges for trespassing in covering that. And I, I, you know, I just want to say, like, we just wouldn't have that story. And it's not just that it was an interesting story, that the protest was an interesting story that brought... Together, all these different people, it had an impact. There were renegotiations of the terms of that project because of that occupation. It's absolutely a, a news story of the of first order that the public needs to know about. So essentially, what is being decided in whether or not Justin Brake is considered a criminal for that is whether we're going to allow journalists to cover these kinds of stories. Whether the public has a right to know. There is a there is another side to it. You could say, well, what special What special rights does a journalist have to trespass, right? You could argue that. I'm I'm sure there are people out there, people who did when we had that first show uh,
2: out there. And, And that gets us to this question of, well, what is a journalist in the eyes of the law? And this is exactly what uh, the Nalcor lawyer boy, I can't believe you're sounding exactly like a corporate lawyer Jesse. Go figure. <laughs> no, the uh, the lawyer the lawyer in uh, in court just a, just as weeks said the journalists have no greater right to trespass on private property than any other individual and a journalist certainly has no greater right to defy a court order than any other individual. So they're they're taking that tack. You know, it's not a tack I've I'm familiar with any other institution or entity saying, um, stating. I mean, journalists are afforded a certain level of protection in uh, in Canada and in and U.S. There's a, an important place for bearing witness in Canada. Is there not?
1: Yes. And I think in the past, the reason why we haven't seen stories like this is not because journalists actually have any formalized special status in the law. But I think that was just common practices that if a newspaper reporter or a CBC reporter was present at a, at a protest, they would be immune from whatever legal consequences the protesters had. Justin Brake is the editor of an online independent. It's called The Independent. And I think that if he was a CBC reporter, this would not be happening. So I think that's an aspect of this as well. I get the other side's point of view. I guess anybody could have called themselves a journalist to get off the hook is the slippery slope argument. But it's just not true in the case of Justin Brake. He was not there as an activist. He was not using journalists as some sort of magic force field. He was covering this, and it was consequential, and he was doing a public service in doing that. Speaking of CBC journalists, it comes in a different form when people want to crack down on CBC journalists. Jacques Poitras, who's been on the show before talking about uh, the Irving family. So, you know, Jacques for the CBC, like— The CBC is all you have in New Brunswick to provide just accountability. Forget about criticism, just accountability for the Irving family, which, like, owns that province. The rest of the media is owned by the Irving family. So Jacques wrote the book literally on the Irvings, and uh, he continues to cover them. I think his his colleagues uh, also write about the Irvings for the CBC. And he tweeted that uh, the result of a complaint to the CBC ombudsman, Esther Enkin. William McDowell is a big time defamation lawyer. He was on the show talking about the Furlong case with me. William McDowell is like, if if you ha- have limitless resources and want to protect your good name and through whatever, like he is the defamation guy in this country. And, you know, you, you have to really pay attention when you get a, a angry letter from him as the CBC did. He's representing the Irvings who basically want Jacques Poitras to be forbidden to cover the Irvings. That is what they've asked for. They asked for his Twitter account to be shut down and for him to be taken off the beat. And that is like a big part of his job. So like they're kind of saying like they want his job. Why do the Irvings want to silence Jacques Poitre? If you look at the complaint, they're saying that he he has two Twitter accounts, one for his book reporting. And uh, they say that he's in conflict of interest because he's trying to sell his book. And they say he's in conflict of interest because he's in conflict rather of the CBC's journalistic standards and practices because he was disrespectful. He was disrespectful to the Irving families, disrespectful to billionaires. And they cite a tweet where somebody refers to the Telegraph Journal as the TU. And Jacques says, well, what's the TU? And this person says, oh, that's the Telegraph Urinal. And in engaging in that exchange with this person who, not Jacques, this other person who was calling it the Telegraph Urinal, he displayed disrespect to the Irvings. And, and to that one, I just feel like, who the fuck do they think they are? Like, they, they don't like his disrespectful tone and they don't want him to
2: recover them anymore? Like, what what century and what country do they think they're in? And they're also kvetching about his opinions, that the opinions he was expressing. And the one, our, one piece cited in the Ombuds letter was this one um, section from his book which basically argues provocatively that the Irving family is, or the Irving Corporation is very influential and powerful in New Brunswick. And as CBC's Ombuds letter points out, that's a fact. That's an interpretation based on fact. If they don't want facts pointed out to them, then they should just maybe buy every, every single media organization, including the CBC in New Brunswick, and then they can control everything. But until that happens, you have to accept the fact, uh, Irving family, that there are people with facts and interpretations that you may not 100% agree with. Jason, now is the time on this program, as you are aware... Where we note duly things that must be duly noted. Would you care to go first? Sure. I got a couple, two, two quick things. One is there was this. Hello, I, I don't normally watch Fox News except when I'm at my my parents' house, and I saw this tweeted around yesterday. <laughs> Uh, from okay. the, good, the good show, Trump's favorite Fox show, which is Fox and Friends, their morning show. It was blasted out from the, one of their uh, morning couch anchors. Media bias on full display. Newspapers now cashing in on t-shirts splash with anti-Trump rhetoric. What of those anti-Trump slogans she was taking aim at? Washington Post's Democracy Dies in Darkness. Chicago Tribunes. Speaking truth to power since 1947. And LA Times' Journalism Matters. Those are... Pro journalism, I don't know if they're anti-Trump exactly. So, (laughs) I actually have
1: to. uh, I got to push back. I think if you're pro journalism and pro fact, you are de facto anti-Trump. That is an absolute, Like yay, Fox and Friends. You hit the nail on the head. If you are selling T-shirts that are in support of truth, that is a partisan anti-Trump commercialization attempt.
2: Wow. I guess you can look at it that way, but it just don't—it freaks me out that people become so propagandistically enthralled with their choice for leader that people resenting straight facts and hard analysis critical of him is anti-Trump. That pro journalism <laughs> comes anti. I mean, there's just this anti journalism wave going along in the right now, and you see this with Breitbart, you see it with Rebel, and now you're seeing it with a lot of people on Fox News. Like Sean Hannity was saying that if anybody would ask questions about uh, this plagiarizing former National Security Advisor, they should just go straight to hell. Like this is a guy who's now, you know, his his lack of curiosity extends to telling other journalists who ask questions to go to hell. Um, I want to quickly also note, and I don't think this should go without saying it uh, on this show, is uh, the pain and cuts that are coming at the Vancouver Sun and Vancouver Province, which sure. uh, Post Media smushed together. They had a, a bunch of uh, voluntary buyouts earlier this year and now they're getting 29 new newsroom layoffs. So that's in total uh, 48 people being cut from a newsroom. So basically almost half the size it used to be before these uh, these cuts. And as bad as these are, I'm just really, nothing they do isn't in the shadow of the Paul Godfrey uh, board, board retention uh, bonuses. And I mean, obviously, the uh, the product is going to be degraded. Every product is degraded when there when there are layoffs and the staff gets smaller. But I don't think that Godfrey is aware enough about the damage he did to his company's own brand by taking these buyouts. Like the ROI on that for the company is probably crap. Vancouver is in atrocious shape for news coverage. You know, I,
1: I just don't know that uh, the optics that you're pointing out are something that Godfrey cares about. All indications are that he does, he doesn't. I mean he he seriously dissed his own papers in that Toronto Life uh, Q and A. On the one hand, he was just being honest. He was asked like they're a lot crappier than they used to be, aren't they? And he said, yeah, but uh, they're not they're not yet unacceptable, which is a wonderful a wonderful rallying cry for the surviving posties. Duly noted. Jason, I'm just going to briefly give a tip of the hat to the CBC for continuing to do some really important investigative work for consumer advocacy in their reporting on the banks and TD in particular, but it's now been extended to the other major banks in Canada. They're ripping people off. They are exploiting their own workers and forcing their workers to lie. And upsell people and sometimes not even upsell them, just secretly add on services and plans to their bank accounts to get their service fees higher and hope that they just don't notice. I think that this is just like, in the most basic, direct sense, proving your worth, like even in a dollars and cents way, when they do this stuff on what kind of chicken you're eating, when they do this stuff on bank fees you shouldn't be paying, they are proving the worth of journalism in, in a really tangible way. That like, This is like the, the kind of case we, we need to be making. This is the kind of work we need to be doing to remind people why we're important and what value we have. So uh, word up to them. Do we Hey, quick note to listeners in Abbotsford or students at the University of Fraser Valley, or if you live in Vancouver and don't mind a little drive, The Imposter is coming to you this Saturday. Our own arts and culture show, Aaliyah Pabani and Kevin Sexton are coming to Abbotsford. It's a free show this Saturday. It is at UFV Abbotsford, Building B, Room 101, 33, 844 King Road. That is this Saturday, 7 p.m. Free live show from The Imposter. Check it out. So Jason we're going to talk about refugee crossings into Canada, a topic that uh, is always controversy free on this program It always goes splendidly well <laughs> <laughs> It may go a little bit better this time because you've you've reported on this extensively Here's what I want to talk about because we talk about the reporting of things and the optics of things on this show I've focused in the past on how disingenuous and misinterpreted Justin Trudeau's tweet was after the first Trump Muslim ban was announced. And and he tweeted that, you know, refugees will always be welcome in Canada. Welcome refugees, which was taken as a uh, direct response to the Trump initiative and was even misreported by PBS and others to say that Canada would be accepting those who were now going to be rejected by Trump. And in fact, nothing really changed in Canada's refugee policy whatsoever. I was very critical of the media's response to that. And uh, Trudeau, I think, basically spinning the media. You pointed out in your most recent piece on this, you've been a, a series of pieces on what's been happening at, at our border. You focused on a different group who read that tweet from Justin Trudeau and and may have been misled by it, and that is the refugees themselves
2: and people who are illegal immigrants worried about deportation in America. Um, I was speaking to somebody who deals works with refugees and immigrants in Vancouver who's from Central America, and he was. Quite surprised by how many people he's heard about from the Spanish language community uh, who've read Spanish language press and saw Justin Trudeau's tweet and interpreted that as, oh my God, he's gonna make us safe. The perception issue in the States is almost bigger in some ways than the actual laws that Trump is ex- executing, saying that you can't bring in certain people from certain countries and that he's gonna deport everybody. Um, it's a sense from uh, Trump and his administration that people are not wanted that America is not safe for newcomers, it's not welcoming anymore. You may as well rub off that inscription on the base of the Statue of Liberty. Trudeau wanted to sort of portray himself as the anti-Trump with his message, but the perception that he brought with that was sort of the mirror opposite of what Trump did. And that will make people feel good in Canada who welcome refugees themselves, but also it sends a signal, and I think this is what some more immigration conservative types thought, was that he's really saying misleadingly that we're opening the doors wide and we will take everybody.
1: It's interesting. I mean, this has always been the story with vulnerable people going way back. They have to read the tea leaves. It's not about some uh, broken telephone thing. It's that you want to get ahead of the game. So, you know, when Jews were fleeing the, the Holocaust and it was spreading across Europe, you wouldn't wait for the law that would put you on a train towards a death camp. You would try to read the tea leaves and read the symbols and look at the optics and say, is is the noose tightening? Is it time finally to pack up my family and do a very dangerous thing and, and, and go to some country I've never been before where our, future is uncertain and people families have to make that judgment call based on optics based on the signaling from a government so they're getting negative signaling from trump that like it's getting worse and worse and eventually it's going to catch up with us whether you're a refugee seeking a refugee status or whether you're one of the millions of illegal immigrants in america why wait and now you've got canada signaling something very different so there's there's consequences you
2: know, the optics like you say are, are maybe more important than the policies which is what makes it interesting to look at what every, what people have been saying since from Trudeau's government. We keep looking to what Ahmed Hussein, the immigration minister, who himself is a Somali refugee. We look at what uh, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale has said. And they've been very, very careful on this one. While they haven't said, we don't want people, we don't, we're not welcoming people, they're not saying, we welcome all refugees. They're saying, we have a system. If people come in this way, um, they will be processed, they will be given due process, because that is our legal system. They're being very, not circumspect or not welcoming. They're just trying to toe the line, being very careful, because they realize the impact of these words. Um, I don't know if they'd exactly want to walk back what Trudeau said, but they're certainly not repeating it. On the other side, it's interesting what the conservatives say. I was talking to Jason Kenney, who was immigration minister, you know, last decade when there was a surge of border crossers coming and a lot of people from the Roma community, in some cases in smuggling in proper organized smuggling rings. He's very aware that signaling matters, too. And remember that refugee uh, health health benefit curtailing thing that was, came across a couple of years ago? That was actually designed in some ways to send negative signals. He didn't want people to feel like they could just come in and access Canada's health benefits, access the process and get their way in it was a scarecrow it,
1: it, it was a, an, an angry signal it was also a signal to canadians who are always saying oh refugees get treated better than canadians i don't think there's any factual basis for that but that was i think a, a conservative messaging that that certainly not people
2: no but i think he did want to remind people that if you don't get if you don't get approved by the immigration refugee board you get deported Which is the same thing that happens now. It's just a matter of what messages you'd rather uh, portray and what signals you want to send both to refugees and claimants themselves or the Canadian public. Trudeau was not necessarily signaling to asylum seekers. He didn't mean to signal to asylum seekers when he was talking about, when he sent out that tweet back in January, he was signaling that to Canadians. I don't think he quite appreciated how much asylum seekers would get that message. Well they have gotten it and the, you know these
1: stories and these photos uh, that have popped up over the winter, uh, people on both sides have been saying, just wait till spring that uh, whatever we've been seeing, if people are willing to risk and lose their fingers, their health, their you know, really the risk of their lives and the lives of their children to cross these borders in the dead of winter in, in, in Manitoba, what's going to happen come spring? And there's a tremendous pressure from both sides. The Conservatives are saying just shut it down basically and force people through the actual checkpoints where this treaty will basically mean that if they're coming through the states and, and claiming refugee status, they're just, we, we won't even entertain that is my understanding. Uh, and then on the other side, the NDP is saying no, no, let's let's formalize the process by which we will entertain refugee claims from people who have first tried to get refugee status in the United States. That's my understanding of the pressure from either side. And through your reporting, my understanding is the liberals are basically ignoring pressure from from either direction and just hoping to kind of maintain the status quo. If I've got that right, uh, and correct me if I don't, is that going to be possible if we see a, a massive uptick in refugee claims this spring?
2: Right now, they're sort of playing it at maintenance levels, right? Uh, the numbers that are coming in, while they're vastly greater than the numbers, uh, who've crossed through irregular, uh, you know, means, through ditches, through farmers' fields in Manitoba, through a provincial park in BC, these numbers are much, much higher than they, they have been in past winters and even past summers, um, the last couple of weeks, but it's not Overburdening the refugee system entirely. We have a whole much, whole bigger asylum seeking uh, system. People who fly in from China and claim refugee status once they get here. That's allowed, uh, unlike the Safe Third Country Agreement, which bans people from doing that at the land crossings in America. So overall, the number, our numbers are not at levels where they can't handle it. If enough people, if the dozens on a weekend become hundreds on a weekend coming in, Manitoba and Quebec, then they might have to change for two reasons. One, just logistically, they can't process people at that rate. And two, I think people start to say, and we already see this on both sides of it, that this is ridiculous, that this system just is not respectful of the fact that we have borders, that we have a refugee system. Either we should let people in in an orderly fashion at the border post we've set up. Or we just shut it down entirely. And that's the NDP or the immigration reformist perspective and the conservative perspective. My sense is that if the numbers really do surge in the spring, as they traditionally do, then the Liberals are going to be half to force to one side or the other. Jason, thank you. That got dark, didn't it? <laughs> you wanted it darker. That's your
1: Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I will read what you send me and I will respond to you when I can. Uh, we are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Jason, where can people find you? At Marcus Off. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canadaland. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get